Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. Utah, like Florida, now attacking public sector unions. Amazon accused of union busting in Kentucky. And today on the show, the United Council of Academics and the organizing director for the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. Welcome to the Wednesday, January 31st edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify and Pandora. We have two new guests on the show today, both newcomers to America's workforce. We do appreciate that. Brian O'Donnell. We're going to start off with him. Brian says he grew up in New Jersey, a union brat. My dad was a pipe fitter. My mom, a teacher's aide. And he said, I wouldn't have had a roof, let alone health insurance. If it wasn't for the union movement, Brian is now a year from finishing his Ph.D. in astronomy, and he is president of his union, the United Council of Academics, and this is at the New Jersey Institute of Technology. The website is ucanaft.org, and here's the deal. They've been trying to get their pay up for a while. In fact, they've been out of contract for 18 months very, very little progress. And finally, they said, well, you know what? Let's take a strike vote. 98%, 98%, a clear majority in favor of striking. And that's when the university said, okay, okay, slow down. They brought in a state mediator and uh, made some salary offers that could compete with other universities, ones that grad students can actually live on. And a month under strike authorization under that vote got them what they needed. It took a while. It was a struggle. But there's more to talk about. And that's what we're going to get into uh, with Brian O'Donnell. A little background on uh, the United Council of Academics. This is all on their website. Their mission statement, pretty simple. We teach your classes. We work in your labs. We contribute valuable research to projects across the university. We are the academic workers, and we deserve to be treated as the professionals we are. Our work is, in all essential respects, the same as that of our full-time faculty colleagues. Indeed, we take pride in offering first-rate undergraduate instruction and research skills. We take pride in an institution that stands for excellence. Yet, too often, the university fails to acknowledge the importance of our contributions and the dignity of our work. It is time we have a say in the terms of our employment. And together, together we're committed to advancing the academic mission of this university. We know that improving conditions for academic workers will attract the best and the brightest minds. And we believe that an institution at this level should live by the highest standards of fairness and justice in treating its workers. Boy, that says a lot. Says a lot for all workers, doesn't it? So uh, Brian O'Donnell will be our first guest later in the show. We're going to check in with the organizing director for the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. Teamsters, proud sponsors of America's workforce. 
That person is Chris Roselle. Chris has been a Teamster organizer for over 20 years, in which 17 of those years were spent working for the Teamster organizing department at every level. He helped lead and coordinate campaigns all around the country. For three years, he worked as Teamster's local union 856 organizing director, along with being a business agent and contract negotiator. And then in March of 2022, almost two years ago, Chris Roselle was appointed to serve the national organizing director as national organizing director by Sean O'Brien, the general president of the Teamsters. So we're going to talk about the uh, campaigns that are going on. One of them at uh, Delta Airlines. This is a real fascinating one. There's actually three unions working together as one to organize Delta. And Delta has a history of fighting the unions. Now, the pilots are unionized, but they have a struggle there. So th- I'll tell you, if, to get three unions working together, that's amazing in itself. <laughs> so I'm sure Chris will have some comments on that as well. We'll uh, also talk about uh, the Teamsters organizing in various other industries, especially at uh, at Amazon. That's That's a whole show in itself. And while we're talking about the Teamsters, I have to mention what's going on here with uh, Anheuser-Busch. Sean O'Brien, the general president, delivered a very stern message to Anheuser-Busch as the contract talks recently resumed in Washington, joined by Teamsters Brewery, Bakery, and Soft Drink Conference Director Jeff Patalero and the Anheuser-Busch Teamsters National Negotiating Committee. O'Brien reminded the company negotiators that Teamsters will not work a minute, not one minute, beyond the expiration of their current contract, which is on February 29th. That's a month away, less than a month away. Both O'Brien and Patalero gave Anheuser-Busch a full copy of the model contract that Anheuser-Busch Teamsters across the country overwhelmingly pre-ratified. With 94% approval by workers, the model agreement includes language protecting jobs, recapturing lost union work, increasing retirement benefits, and boosting wages. After telling the company to respect the workers and sign the agreement, Sean walked out of the talks. This is what he said. Anheuser-Busch needs to check its moral compass. They've ignored workers for months. They make up excuses to not come to the bargaining table. They take our labor for granted while they pour millions into corporate advertising. It's a disgrace. The Teamsters are more united than ever at Anheuser-Busch, and we are prepared for a full-scale strike and nationwide boycott. They do spend a whole lot on advertising. I urge you, everybody's going to be watching the Super Bowl. And uh, they are always, always in the Super Bowl. And those spots are very, very pricey. On December 16th, 5,000 Teamsters, this was at 12 Anheuser-Busch breweries in the country, voted by 99% to authorize a strike. The Teamsters Negotiating Committee expects Anheuser-Busch to return to those talks shortly. (laughs) They better. They better with a warning 
from uh, Sean O'Brien. Teamster.org. Just uh, check that website for uh, for further posts. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. The segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at BoydWatterson.com. State employees in Utah are speaking out against a proposed bill that would weaken the state's public sector unions. Following the lead of Florida, which passed a similar bill last spring, the new law would require public sector union members to opt into paying dues each year and would require the unions to be recertified once every five years. As in Florida, the law exempts public safety unions, including police and fire, widely seen as politically popular groups from these requirements. As we reported recently, these special exemptions can be divisive and hard to define. The head of the Utah Firefighters Union testified against the bill saying, my members, well, we don't stand behind our teachers, maintenance workers, and everybody else. We stand beside them. The bill's proponents insist that it will promote freedom of choice and union democracy. Oh, yeah, sure. Heard that before. You know, we had a pretty good conversation on this issue yesterday with uh, Andrew Spar. Andrew's the president of the Florida Education Association, and we got into this uh, uh, as far as how so many governors, especially right-wing governors, are attacking attacking public sector unions. It's very sad, but if you missed that show, awfpodcast.com. Amazon is once again accused of union busting. This at a Kentucky Air Hub, all amid a campaign by the Amazon Labor Union. When Amazon scheduled invite-only captive audience meetings with select groups of workers, one organizer, Griffin Ritzy, attempted to join the meetings and rebut the company's anti-union arguments. Well, as the law stands today, employers have the right to hold these meetings without granting union supporters an opportunity to reply. Jennifer Abruzzo, general counsel at the Labor Board, has made it a goal to change that doctrine. Amazon has previously attempted to stop union supporters from tabling outside the entrance to the air hub leading union supporters to file unfair labor practice charges with the NLRB. Tough company, tough company. You know, here is a case that uh, all of you should be very, very concerned about at the U.S. Supreme Court. About two, maybe three weeks ago, the uh, Supreme Court heard oral arguments on overturning Chevron. Now, in a nutshell, I'm not going to get into all the particulars. The Chevron case has been a foundational framework in what they call administrative law. The question is this. Do federal agencies interpret or enforce the laws by Congress or do the courts? In recent years, the critics have argued that the principle violates Article 3 of our Constitution, which says the federal court should handle the interpretation of law. Court observers are predicting the Supremes will, in fact, vote to overturn Chevron. However, the Chief Justice, John Roberts, and Amy Coney Barrett votes, their votes are not certain right now. The rationales 
for disliking Chevron vary. The liberal justices appeared united in the belief that Chevron is a bedrock judicial precedent that keeps decision-making in the hands of politically accountable experts and out of the hands of judges. So again, this is one to watch. So they heard the oral arguments a couple of weeks ago. A decision should be coming in June. And with the makeup of the court, probably going to side on the conservative edge on this one. That's what some are saying. But we'll, we'll, we'll stay on this, especially with all the uh, informative labor lawyers that we showcase on this show called America's Workforce. All right, we're going to take a quick break right now. When we come back, we're going to check in with the president of the United Council of Academics. Back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. This portion of the show is brought to you by Anthem Blue Cross and Blue Shield, labor's trusted health partner, bringing people, communities, and care together to transform the future of health. For more information, please visit anthem.com slash labor and trust. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the US, US, Canada, Canada, and and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong, and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SPS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. The Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight ironworker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylines and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great iron worker. Whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at CWA-Union.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. 
America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. And speaking of the AFT, let's go to uh, line number one. Welcome our first guest today. And that would be Brian O'Donnell. Brian is president of the United Council of Academics in New Jersey. They're based in Trenton, New Jersey, and he represents uh, workers at the New Jersey Institute of Technology. Altogether, they have about 800 members in the union. And uh, so you you grew up as a union brat. I was just talking about you at the beginning of the show. So maybe you can run down your, your background here. Your dad, I guess, was a pipe fitter. Your mom, a teacher. Talk to me about that time in your life, Brian. Uh, yeah, um, I, my dad still is a pipe fitter. My mom is retired as a teacher now, but yeah, my, my dad works like the breweries and the, uh, and the refineries and the power plants of Northern New Jersey. And if like in like, I owe a lot to the movement, you know, I like in 2008 when everything was collapsing around everybody else, I knew my house was going to be fine. Cause I knew my dad was going to have a paycheck and that's because, because we, he, like it's not just because he's a, a a good project manager and he knows how to weld a pipe. It's because like we, there was collectivized pressure that that kept a good pay when everybody else's was falling, right? That's so, right. And that and that that meant a lot to me. It made me like really wake up when I was in God middle school. Um, and um, at the same time, my mom went from from grinding very hard long hours doing like an office desk job to being a teacher's aide in a special ed classroom and getting paid better and keeping better hours even though she was doing much harder work and you know it it all communicates very clearly when when you have that when you grow up that kind of way that that you owe something back yeah yeah and that paved the way for you to go to college i see you're studying uh, astronomy you're working on your phd in astronomy when uh when is that going to happen? How close are you are you to, oh, to achieving that? Oh, I am that? very close to done. I am uh, before th- this year that just started is out. I don't think I'm going to get it done by July, but I'll definitely have it done by December. Okay, okay, good, good. Interesting field there. I, I salute you on that. So, talk to me about this this contract that you were trying to get. It took a long time. I see what what was it? Eighteen months and the university, well, the institute, I should call them. This is the New Jersey Institute of Technology, NJIT. They were playing the hardball with you. What? Uh, what's the story here, Brian? It's all yours. Yeah. So that is a. Uh, what is the story? That's a great question. Um, Eighteen months ago, on July first of twenty twenty-two, um, my contract expired. Um, I. Well, and so did the other contract. Uh, we we have two contracts because of some bargaining nonsense, but, um, and from July of 2022 until, um, uh, like April, I think it was, you know, six months, seven months, something like that. They stalled. They refused to come to the bargaining table. They, um, they management of, of NJT, uh, came up with excuse after excuse, not bargaining between those two contracts, not, not dragging in as many people as uh, we wanted, refusing to bargain with me because they wanted to bargain with a lawyer, some such nonsense. 
and I shouldn't say me, I should say our bargaining committee. We had a very democratic bargaining committee, and we, we maxed out like 70 people at the end. But the, these are the kind of excuses that they were throwing. Um, and our local was uh, a little bit uh, on hard times. It's a little bit beaten up by COVID. It, it happens a lot to especially like grad and postdoc uh, unions where people get cycled out all the time, like by the natural flow of things. So we like we're, we're co-rebuilding like, our shop and like trying to force management to negotiate on very, very real changes in terms. And they were uh, not having it. Um, but three major things happened in our campaign, which is A, we went from being like a very quiet and somewhat unorganized local to like ha- having not just a, like an activist present, but like a, a willingness to be like a little bit more militant than tech students usually are. Um, uh-huh. And including what my uh, organizing chair getting himself arrested at, at the president's the inauguration of the new university president. Um, <laughs> and uh, on top of that, we had phenomenal allies from, like, uh, frankly, a, a lot all over New Jersey labor, but especially um, with the Rutgers Union, who just won an incredible contract a few months ago. Those folks are our mm-hmm. coalition partners. We talk to them every week. And we had like extra staff we had confidence we had and supply we had uh anything we could ever need from the directors coalition and uh like and then third management just underestimated us over and over and over again and those six months that they spent stalling our people were getting angrier and angrier and they were getting better organized and we were working on our contract language tightening up everything and then we like so when we actually did force them back to the table, um, we were a much stronger local than they could have sat down with. And Rutgers was almost done negotiating their contract, and they were going to win 20 or 30% raises on the job titles that we have, also working for the state of New Jersey, and one of their campuses right across the street from us. So they, they weakened their bargaining hand, and we had time to strengthen ours while they were screwing with us. And now we, uh, we spent the, the remaining year fighting a really hard campaign, running a, a Democratic bargaining committee, having you know sometimes five people and sometimes 50 people like actually argue this thing out with management. And we, we got our demands. We got equal pay along with like better tuition benefits for adjuncts um, we, uh, with Rutgers. Again, they actually had to go out on strike. Um, and the, we also uh, won equal pay for grads and for postdocs. And um, all of that came from, like, long, hard yards at the bargaining table, but it also came from uh, the climax of our campaign, which was a pretty resounding strike authorization vote. Um, in uh, late November to early December, we... Uh, we uh, launched a formal strike ballot with our members, and we got back, uh, I believe it was uh, 56% turnout um, of our 98% yes return on our strike vote. Like, we had a pre- pretty triumphant margin uh, to to threaten the strike with management. And again, like, like uh, we're allies with the Rutgers Coalition. We just helped them put on a strike, and they were going to help us. It was a very, very credible threat that wound up moving management at the end. But... You know, you can't make credible threats if you don't run a long campaign and build power. So, in the end, we uh, we won 
more than 30% raises uh, for this year for uh, all three of our job titles. And uh, they and we signed the contract last week, and we officially got our ballot back from members yesterday. Well, Brian, congratulations to you on this because it wasn't easy. You had you had to jump through some hoops here, but you finally made it happen, and obviously you got a lot of happy campers today. So let me ask you, What's next here? Do you have a, I understand that you're trying to get some, uh, what full-time status for some employees. Is that the next, uh, the next mission here? Yeah. Other than, you know, enforcement as all, as all bargaining committees turn into enforcement committees in the end. Um, our next, uh, real project is that, um, the graduate students, the PhD students who like currently work full-time, uh, effectively, um, and, and like uh, either research or teach on top of being PhD students for a full-time load. Um, they, uh, some of the state institutions credit them as full-time and NJIT does not. And that makes it so that like, we can't get like state benefits like healthcare because we're treated as part-time employees. And that makes it much more expensive for the university to give us much worse healthcare than it would be if we could just get treated like normal state employees. So we're going to have to like go do politics in Trenton um, and, and try to, you know, get treated like more fairly, uh, again, uh, like overall for all the, uh, the New Jersey teachers. Well, all I can say yeah. right now is job well done. Brian O'Donnell, president of the United Council for Academics at the uh, New Jersey Institute of Technology. Website is you can, A-F-T.org. Keyword is you can, and you did. No doubt about that. <laughs> I bet you your, your dad, your dad's got to be pretty proud of what you, uh, what you're able to accomplish here, wasn't he? Um, I have to tell you, when I told him that I was going to run for president of my local, he thought I was insane, but now I think he's pretty damn proud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, thank you so much for joining us here and keep in touch with us. Okay, brother. Thank you so much, guys. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Chris Roselle is the organizing director for the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, and he is coming up next. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrans. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. Attention members of the Heat and Frost Insulators Union who are interested in traveling. Central Ohio has more construction projects on the books than anywhere in the U.S. Mega projects, large and medium-sized jobs are creating more work than our local 50 brothers and sisters can handle. Projects like Intel, the Honda LG battery plant, and multiple data centers for Facebook, Google, and Amazon offer union wages, overtime, exciting incentives. Local 50 is seeking union travelers to meet the needs of its signatory contractors who can put you to work immediately. If you're a member in good standing and interested in the work opportunities in Central Ohio, visit insulators50.com forward slash AWF travel for more information. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. A great union requires a reliable election system. 
Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit SurveyAndBalletSystems.com to learn more. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans, and we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers, and we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. Let's go to uh, line number two right now. And joining us from Washington is Chris Roselle. Chris is the Director of Organizing for the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. Teamster.org is their website. i tell you, they're one of the best uh, labor websites out there. Chock full of information. You want to get updates on what's going on in Teamsters, just go to Teamster.org. Today we're going to talk to uh, Chris about a real interesting uh, campaign, first time in the history of Delta Airlines, where three unions are actually working together as one to organize Delta. And this this company, <laughs> they're not what you call union-friendly. You know, pilots are organized there, but there's other parts that are not. And uh, we got to change all that. Chris Roselle, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. And I was reading earlier that you've been a Teamster organizer for uh, for over 20 years. And now was uh, you come from a Teamster family. I always like to get a little more familiar with, uh, with new guests on the show. So uh, talk to me about growing up, all right? All right. Well, actually, I'm born and raised from Thornton, Colorado. I um, did not come from a union family. My parents are both, you know, small business owners of their their own. I did um, see Teamsters and and deal with Teamsters a, a little bit. My dad was a over the road freight, twenty four seven service, you know, provider, third party. He would call in and do service calls. So we would deal with some of the Teamsters and. In trucks, um, I, my actual experience growing up with the Teamsters was I um, hired at UPS, and um, I'm, a, I'm a 25-year UPS member as well. Started as a seasonal loader and worked myself into a full-time inside job, and then I, I became a package car driver before I came at Teamster organizer. Yeah, that's that's tough being uh, being a worker at UPS, and congratulations on what. 
your union was able to accomplish last year? Were you, were you, now you were organizing director and all that during that time. Were you, did you have any role in what was happening or is that all pretty much Sean O'Brien's doing? Well, of course, first and foremost, our general president was the top leader of the entire project, right, for the UPS contract team, but all of us had part in helping. And our part in the organizing department was um, assisting in two ways. One, we, we did internal organizing with our membership, meaning that we actually had helped um, you know, sign up new members, get them engaged in the contract, go out and educate them. And over, we found it in our, you know, on the organizing side that, out of the 380,000 Teamsters, we actually had 40,000 people that weren't in the union and weren't actually participating. And so um, my team, I got an amazing team in my department, right, organizers. There's a, we're the one of the largest staff of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, but we had a team of organizers that did nothing but go out to every UPS game in the country and sign up those that were not participating and educate them on why it was important to not only get involved in the union, but get involved in their contract and make sure they were educated and, and ready um, for the contract campaign, and then our department was um, instrumental involved in getting the you know the workers ready for the strike if the strike happened for the contract, and so they were out helping educate the members, doing practice picketing, um, doing strike education out in all the facilities. We worked with several departments to do that, so we were um, we were definitely a big part of that, and and continue to help you know in the enforcement campaign of the contract now. And all the uh, hard work certainly paid off. And it it also paved the way for our brothers and sisters in the UAW. I mean, everybody was watching you. I mean, we were talking about what was going on every day here on America's Workforce. And then when the deal was signed, I mean, I I spent the whole morning talking about that because it was monumental. So congratulations on that. Wasn't easy. It's never easy. But you're able to really secure a good deal for your members and what over 300,000 members there we're talking about. All right, let's let's switch gears here. I want to talk about Delta. Uh, as I indicated, first time in history, you got three unions. And what are the other two unions that are involved in this? So we partnered with the um, AFA, the you know, Flight Attendants Union, and the IAM, the International Association of Machinists. And um, AFA is the Association of Flight Attendants. And the three of us have joined together in, in support of ALPA, the pilots union at Delta as well, um, to organize, you know, almost 50,000 workers at Delta Airlines. And what, what, what kind of jobs are we talking about, the 50,000 workers there? So the Teamsters, we are actually assisting the mechanics and related um, under the NMB Railway Labor Act, right, they call things craft and class. And so that means that for us it's all of the aircraft mechanics, the ground service equipment mechanics, um, the facilities maintenance team, and, um, you know, so on. Whatever groups are related to the mechanics and um, related group we're assisting in organizing. So there's almost 9,000 of them across the country that we're assisting with the biggest group, over 5,000 living in Atlanta, Georgia. But so the flight attendants, of course, um, you know, the Association of Flight Attendants are working with the flight attendants. Um, that's a huge group as well, almost 20,000 workers. And then we have um, another almost 20,000 workers at the ramp that the IAM are working with. And, and this is the first time ever that we have built a coalition and the three of us are working together to organize these 50,000 workers. So how did this happen? I mean, did did somebody take the lead to the Teamsters, the AFA, the machinists? Who took the lead? I mean, this, I mean this, this is a first. This is a first. It wasn't easy, I'm sure. Well, believe it or not, the, the 
Teamsters is the largest aircraft mechanic representative in the entire country, and we've actually been trying to organize Delta Mechanics, and I've been involved personally as an organizer for over a decade. Um, but I think what really happened to create this coalition was, you know, the merger between Northwest and Delta Airlines. Um, several workers at Northwest actually enjoyed their union, but um, Delta was able to squash the union and get it out through the merger process and through the vote and um, using, you know, um, all kinds of anti-union tactics. And so the flight attendants that were union at Northwest and the um, mechanics were union and the ramp agents, and all of them lost their union in that process. And so the IM and AFA had enough support to get a um, runoff. The Northwest mechanics were not represented by the Teamsters, and the group that did represent them did not, um, were not able to secure a runoff election. But in those runoff elections, they both lost. And so since then, the IM and AFA have continued to work on them. Um, and our general president, again, Sean O'Brien, um, seeing, you know, that those two unions needed a partner. They also seen that we, you know, it was critical for us to keep our industry standards for our aircraft mechanics and related groups that Delta became union because it's the only legacy non-union airline left. And so we, you know, he led the effort to join the coalition, um, you know, with Sarah Nelson and the IAM. That's what stinks about these mergers, especially when you had two companies. One is pro-union, the other is anti-union. You know there's going to be some problems there. Do we have a count on how many workers um, actually lost lost their jobs out of Northwest when that merger happened? Um, I don't know how many actually lost their jobs. I know they did all lose the union. I um, was not personally right involved during that whole process because the Teamsters weren't, you know, part of the merger negotiations. Um, so I don't know how many would have lost work or not, but it's definitely been a tough process for us across the system, right? We represented Continental and United, and so we dealt with it there. And we've seen, you know, how the, the merging of operations, right, it, it can cause job loss. The good thing for us, we were able to secure all our jobs on the United and Continental side. And, and not only that, we've been able to continue to grow it by insourcing back the maintenance and not allowing it to be outsourced to other countries. Yeah, yeah. When you're pushed so far, you got to push back. That's the sad part about it. So uh, where are we right now? I mean, are, are talks going on right now? And I know Delta, and we, in the second segment here, I want to talk about what Delta has done over the years because they are notorious to pushing unions out here. But where are we in the process of things right now, Chris? So um, currently we are in the process of organizing. We're teaming up the three organizations, right? And we are out to talk to all of the workers and assisting them in forming their unions. And so, I mean, we are... You know, going to their homes, going to the work sites, you know, having rallies of support, creating digital communications, and we are doing everything we can to reach out to get the information to the workers currently, um, because under the National Mediation Board, it's a little different. You have to have a majority before you can even petition for elections. So all of us have to get to 50% plus one, um, you know, which is a difficult task. Um, like I said, I've had over, you know, 20 organizers that I work with, right, from our department that have been out reaching out to these workers. And, I mean, we've house called and tried to contact all 5,500 in the Atlanta location, and, and we're now working to reach out to all the outstations. And so all three of the unions are working together. We're working together with the workers to continue to be able to create that, that outreach and information channel. Well, Chris, as you know, organizing has been key to the labor movement right now. Last year was a banner year for organizing and contracts, and you spoke to that already with the UPS contract. Do you have a goal in mind? Obviously, you, you got to get to 50% plus one, 
and you're working hard, you're doing, you're pulling out all those stops right now. Um, is I don't want to say a deadline, but what, where, where do you think you can, what, what's your timetable on this right now, Chris? So the Teamsters and organizing, our goal is always, right, we want to reach 80% of the workers and we want a super majority, meaning 65% plus support. And that's, that's our organizing method for every group that we work with. But um, overall, right, we, you know, the three organizations and the three committees that we've working together in the coalition, we all know that this is going to be a huge year because, um, unfortunately, labor law is actually regulated, right, by the federal government. And so any president that comes in can help change and guide and the policy and the labor laws and appoint their people to run these offices. So we believe it's critical that we get this done this year. We are hoping 2024 is the year that all three of these workers are going to get to elections and be able to vote to be represented and win their unions. And the only way that we're going to do that is, again, right, reaching out to 80%, you know, continuing to blitz it, and all three of us are believing that we got to get this done in 2024. So we are all doing everything we can um, strategically, working together, building our plans, and figuring out how to we reach the majority of these workers. Chris Roselle, the director of organizing, national director of organizing, joining us on our live line today. We'll continue our conversation. We'll talk about Delta, what they are doing to fight back. Coming up next right here on America's Workforce. Back in a few. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Layuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of LIUNA, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. Are you an experienced mechanical insulator looking to take your career to the next level? Insulators Local 50 in Central Ohio has steady work for a number of years. Insulators Local 50 offers a total wage and benefits package that can't be beat. It's not just the competitive wages. Local 50 also provides medical, vision, and dental insurance with no paycheck deductions for you and your family. Don't miss out on the chance to secure your future. Join us at Insulators Local 50. Earn great pay and the best benefits. Visit insulators50.com forward slash AWF50 to fill out the online form and a Local 50 representative will call to begin the process. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at uaw.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The, the United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, Canada and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. 
America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. This portion of the show brought to you by the International Union of Bricklayers and Allied Craftworkers. For more information, please visit BACweb.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be a WF Union podcast. Before we get back to Chris Roselle, Director of Organizing for the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, you got to do a shout-out here to our brothers and sisters in uh, Sacramento, California, hardcore union state, no doubt about that, more than 150 California workers. This would be a Tony's Fine Foods owned by United Natural Foods Incorporated, better known as UNFI or UNFI, have overwhelmingly voted to join the Teamsters Union. The organizing victory marks the end of a year-long campaign by drivers there to win strong union representation on the job. One of the drivers by the name of Rick Sims, been driving for 30 years. He said, we stood united and fought hard for this victory. It's both a pleasure and a relief to finally be part of the Teamsters. That uh, campaign was a joint effort between Teamster Local 853 in Oakland and Teamster Local 150 in Sacramento. So congratulations to uh, both locals. And you're telling me off the air, Chris. Let's go back to uh, Chris Roselle. Director of Organizing for the Teamsters. You uh, you helped on that campaign, is that right? Yeah, our department was in assistance with both local unions. We worked um, to help, you know, organize the group. We had um, almost five organizers involved from our department assisting both those two locals because um, the workers expanded not only from Sacramento but down in, um, you know, East Bay Area, Oakland, and all the way over to Truckee and then all the way down to Los Angeles. And so we had to have an entire team assisting in that. And um as you said, there was an overwhelming victory. Workers uh, across the country from Unify, which actually owns Tony Fine Foods, have been joining the union in droves. Um, they're very upset with their employer, not happy with their pay rates and their um, current working conditions. And so it, is, it has been um, a huge campaign for us across the country that we've getting getting these workers to join. And that's another group that we are working as hard as we can to get you know elections everywhere and help them form their union so they can get better working standards. That's what it's all about. All right, let's let's talk about Delta here, and and the history of this company is not good. You were you were mentioning a few things in the first segment about uh, what they have done to make sure they stay non-union. Can you can you reflect on that? Because this, this, I mean, every organizing director they go through all kind of crap. There's no doubt about it. The workers go through uh, what captive audience meetings and things like that. But l- let's talk about that. And, and, and our listeners need to know how, how difficult it is. It's, it's very, you got to jump through a lot of hoops here if you want to go union here, but uh, talk to me about that, Chris, go ahead. Well, first and foremost, um, railway labor act organizing is definitely one of the hardest, right? Cause under the national mediation board airlines and, and railroads, and there are other worker classes across the country that fall under it. You have to organize the entire group. Um, unlike Unify, we were talking about, right, this group of workers in Sacramento that were upset with their situation, 150 of them can change it. Here, right, we have 9,000 mechanics across the country in almost every single state, um, you know, out there. And we, you know, all 50 states and pretty much 
every one of them have to organize at the exact same time. So the amount of communication and the level of organization and organizing has to be top-notch and has to be coordinated at the highest levels. But so the last campaigns we've seen that the flight attendants and the ramp agents, you know, launched, you know, to try to organize, Delta spent over $30 million in extinguishing that campaign and fighting it. To making cartoons about, you know, you can you can save money and play more PlayStation or Xbox, you know, than forming a union. Um, last year, our coalition, you know, approached the company at their shareholders meeting, and uh, we gave a proposition asking if they would just um, allow the workers to be fair and free of organizing without any company influence, and that was rejected overwhelmingly. And the company had worked hard to do that. Um, just recently, we actually sat down with. Um, you know, 12 Congress representatives on a labor committee, and um, we brought up to them, you know, the the issues that Delta's been doing, and they're all signing on to a letter to assist us and do it. But even when we approached them, by the time we even got to this committee meeting, Delta had already find out through their lobbyists. They put together a slide deck to show how they believe they're the best in the industry and that they don't need no union, and they actually sent that to the labor committee before we were even able to meet with them. And so... It is unbelievable, right, the amount of, you know, activity that they are going to create to do whatever they can to stop the union. So, Chris, did I hear you say $30 million they spent to fight the union? Was that like, uh, is that collectively over the years? Uh, is there a time period on that? that? That's a lot of money to throw to throw in an uni- anti-union campaign. Yeah, from our records, that was only in 2010, one year. Wow. Um, one year. Now, again, this, this company reports more than $54 billion in revenue, right? And so, I mean, they had their best year on record, a 20% increase last year. COVID's over. Everyone's traveling again. And so this company, you know, Delta currently has the largest operation in all of America and um, the biggest footprint in all airlines in the, in the world. So they have more money and more resources and, um, you know, they're willing to spend every dime it takes to continue to operate non-union. Well, one thing you got in your favor, you got Sean O'Brien, and, man, he's like uh, take no prisoners type of attitude here. I have to ask you, obviously you like working with him, and I know he appointed you as organizing director nationally two years ago. The resources, the money. I mean, you, you, you need some money to fight this. So you need the social media. You need the networks. You need workers. You need boots on the ground. You have the boots on the ground. There's no question about that. But uh, to go against something like that, wow. Uh, <laughs> how do you feel about the future here? You, you, you got to have a pretty thick skin dealing with all this, Chris. Yes, you do. And again, you're exactly right, right? Our general president, no, no um, expense is too big to do whatever we need to do to support workers and their organizing and getting them strong contracts. And he, you know, I've, I've seen him operated from a local level to a joint council level and now at the international. And he has no you know, worries about what it takes to get it done. And he will do whatever it takes to get the job done and make sure that we have the resources and the necessary support that we need. And so we're, you know, launching everything we can. Um, you know, currently we have, again, the largest, one of the largest organizing departments in the entire country. And, and I believe one of the best out of all the national unions and, we are doing everything we can to continue to educate our organizers and train them and develop them so that they can take on companies like this. And we got some of the biggest fights in our industry, not only, you know, on, on the airline side, right, we got Delta, but we have, you know, fights going on 
in every single one of the divisions and industries we represent with um, some of the top anti-union employers that we are continuously doing what we can to make sure that we have a top-notch organizing team that can take on these type of fights. Chris, while I got you on your line, I was mentioning this at the top of the show, Amazon, while they're continuing their union-busting tactics all around the country, they still don't have a first contract in uh, Staten Island. I know you're not involved in that campaign, but uh, there's the hub in uh, Kentucky, which is a real busy hub. They're throwing everything at the workers over there. Now, I know you're concentrating on, on Delta right now. Do you have any involvement of what's going on with uh, with Amazon, the organizing there, Chris? A couple of things. One, the general president has launched an entire division um, to take on Amazon. We see it as a massive threat to our work and our um, you know workers at UPS are 380,000. They have now decided to become their own delivery operation. But the way that Amazon operates is they do not actually have employees. They're, all their delivery drivers are independent contractors and they work for independent companies, and they just contract with Amazon. And so we've launched a campaign across the country to fight that. This is a, unfortunately, independent contractor has been a, something that was created in the freight industry and, you know, has continued to, you know, go against unionizing across the country because they say everyone's their own boss. So this is a top priority of the Teamsters and a top priority of our organization. And, and our role in that is that we will assist at every single level to take on Amazon and make sure we win that fight. But, um just you brought up Kentucky and the CVG with Amazon. Our department was critical in securing another place at, at DHL um, that is right across the street from that Amazon. We had over 1,200 workers at the ramp and tug, and the first time in 20 years trying to organize actually win their election last year, and we fought and just got them a contract. They had a strike across the country, and we believe Amazon's going to need the exact same fight in Kentucky. And so we are, we are securing the rest of that team. There's another 1,800 of the sort that are going to organize with the Teamsters and join that contract we just fought for at DHL. And uh, we are showing the workers at the CVG Amazon facility that this is possible. It can be done. The workers across the street did it. Over 3,000 are going to organize with the Teamsters. And then we're ready to assist them and help them become Teamsters. It's funny you brought that up. We just did a show on that a couple of days ago with uh, Nick Prather who is a business agent over there at the, the DHL hub. So, yeah, congratulations. I tell you, good stuff there. Obviously, Amazon should follow the lead of DHL. Chris Roselle, thank you so much. Chris Roselle, Director of Organizing for the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, a union representing over 1 million members throughout North America. Complete updates at teamster.org. Good luck on your campaign. You got a friend here on America's Workforce, so please keep in touch with us, okay, brother? We will, brother. Thank you so much. Appreciate the support. You got it. That'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers and Trayman, their president, Eddie Hall, will be joining us in the latest from the United Auto Workers. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.